This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning on winning inside. Fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Kelly Thompson. And I'm doing a process cast for Ben Blacker, because he was very kind enough to invite me. Uh, And I'm doing it for Captain Marvel number one, which, depending on when this goes up, just came out. Um, It it releases on uh, January 9th, 2019. And um, I apologize in advance if my voice sounds a little funny, or if I do a horrible coughing thing in the middle of this. I've had a cough forever. Uh, I was trying to wait to do this cast until I sounded more normal and my cough had gone away, but apparently I'm going to have the cough forever. So I figured I better just uh, get in here and get it out of the way. Um, So forgive me if uh, I don't know what I'm doing because uh, I don't know what I'm I'm doing. Uh, (laughs) This is uh, relaunch, well, no, renumbering of Captain Marvel number one. Uh, we're sort of the book that's going to be out while the movie is out, so that's really exciting. Uh, I have an incredible team, uh, all put together by the absolutely phenomenal Sarah Brunstad at Marvel Comics. Uh, we had consulting editor Will Moss, who was just like the best guy ever. Um, he was sort of just making sure we didn't burn anything down. Um, our artist is Carmen Carnero, uh, one of the nicest and most talented ladies you could ever meet. Tamara Bonvillain, whose name I've never said out loud, so I'm not sure if I got that right, uh, is our incredible color artist. And Clayton Cowles is uh, doing uh, letters. So, this is a book... Carol's tricky, I think. Um... I think she has sometimes had the same problem that Wonder Woman has for for readers. I don't think she actually has that problem, but I think there's the perception of that problem where uh, people perceive her to be sort of humorless and, and, and she's too good. She has to be too perfect. She gets sort of held up there as like the female queer character. I'm doing air quotes as I talk. Um, and that's a lot of pressure and can end up being not a lot of fun. Characters need to be able to sort of be flawed and make mistakes and, you know, not be perfect, not be perfect all the time. Perfect is, uh, sort of dull. So that's not how I feel about Carol at all. I just think that's something she gets tagged with a lot. It's also not something I feel about Wonder Woman, although I did feel it at a time and there were certain writers like Gail Simone and Greg Rucka who sort of helped me pierce through that veil and find that Wonder Woman was funny and smart and sort of sassy and full of her own problems. And it was sort of my way into falling in love with her. And as a creator, it was also like a really great lesson in what it is that appeals to you about certain characters and why. And also, you know, for any writer that's been assigned a project with a character that they didn't maybe think was going to be their favorite, which has happened to me a couple times, 
cough, dazzler, cough, cough, medusa, cough. Oh, I have a cough. I could have used it right there. I didn't even use it. I just did a thing. Anyway, so um, there's always a way in to a character. There's always a way to find out sort of what's really interesting and fascinating about them. And uh, I learned very much with Dazzler and Medusa when I tried to apply the lessons I had learned about Wonder Woman all those years ago. Um, I learned Dazzler and Medusa ended up becoming two of my favorites because I found this very interesting way into them and I sort of fell in love with them and was able to like make them my own and like do interesting stories with them. Well, to a degree more Dazzler than Medusa because Medusa was in another book at the time. And so, you know, you end up with sort of handcuffs on uh, about what you can and can't do. Anyway, so I think Carol has an uphill battle sometimes with readers uh, and then you add to that that, you know, she's had a really big push for good reason at Marvel, but that has often resulted in a lot of new number ones because number ones is a thing that comics love to do anyway. And when you have a character that you're determined, you know, to keep doing a, a solo series for, which solo series are tough these days, um, you know, you end up with a lot of new number ones. You sometimes end up with a lot of creative teams. And uh, now I have to cough, so I'm going to stop and begin again later. Anyway, we're back. Uh, let's see if we can go ten times that long. <laughs> anyway, so all that to say, I think Carol is a little tricky for readers. Uh, she's not actually tricky, but people have a perception of her being tricky. And... Uh, that just puts a lot more pressure on me with the book coming out with the movie. It was a lot of pressure to think about. And so I really just had to go back to the roots of Carol and like, who is she? What's she about? Why is she special? What's going to make people fall in love with her if they're not already in love with her? And of course, always that razor's edge of how do you balance making something accessible to new fans because hopefully she's going to have more fans than ever this year and that also doesn't talk down to readers that have been fans for a long time and people who are really well versed in you know the the comics medium and who've been here for it so uh if you're familiar with my stuff you maybe know that while there are plenty of times where i'm very wordy in my writing i hate starting a book with a lot of dialogue balloons or narration captions. As a reader, I find that a huge turnoff. Um, I'm not saying there aren't many brilliant books that uh, start that way. There are uh, many of them that I love. But you have to be so good for me to look at a page, at a page one that's just buried in text, and for me to not go, eh, maybe later, and close the book and read something else instead. So I'm always hyper aware of that as a read as a writer and especially because comics is such a wonderfully visual medium when I have really great co collaborators as I have mostly been really lucky to have uh, I try to let us lead with visuals I feel like they hook readers so much more than the thousands of words I could write that that uh, that Carmen and Tamara can can give us in a few pictures. So on that note, and wanting to quickly address Carol's history without getting bogged down in it, we just start with a very simple nine panel grid that's just single static shots of Carol at different times in her life, sort of all the major evolutions Carol has had. Uh, and I should say it's actually eight panels of that, and then it's joined in the center uh, tier panel with Carol sort of in this her sort of binary form in a hollow star that sort of connects all the panels kind of thing. 
Um, so we see her in her early iteration of the Captain Marvel, of the Ms. Marvel costume. We see her in the more classic uh, lightning bolt swimsuit Ms. Marvel. We see her as a soldier. We see her as a pilot. Um, we see her in her Captain Marvel persona and sort of as a leader. We see her as her binary persona that she had. And then sort of bringing us back up to sort of where she roughly left off um, at the end of uh, Life of Captain Marvel. And I think uh, Carmen did an incredible job on that ninth image uh, with sort of echoing how that book felt, I think. She did a really great job. So the captions are very simple. Fighter, soldier, hero, pilot, captain, leader, warrior, icon. And I think it just sums it up without needing to do a billion exposition captions or, um, you know, leading the reader by the hand. You know what those images mean. They mean she's lived a life. And uh, you turn that page. Um, we've actually got the cool... Uh, double page spread credits page, which is my first time getting that at Marvel. It's also my first time asking for it. I don't want to act like people have been keeping it from me. But I do think it feels right on some of the bigger, more epic books. And I felt like this was one of the first times that that really made sense for a book I was doing. And I have to tell you, I love the hell out of it. It feels cinematic. It feels important. And I'm sort of glad we waited until now, um, not to diminish Hawkeye, which is a book I love, and Kate Bishop I love, uh, but, you know, it would have felt out of place there. I think it would have worked in West Coast Avengers to do that, but almost more of a tongue-in-cheek joke, right? Um, anyway, so we then turn the page. We've got a huge double-page spread of uh, Carol fighting this crazy tentacled, uh, Kraken type thing with all these eyes and it's incredible. Um, I think my notes in the script were that I was really flexible on design. Carmen could do what she wanted, but I wanted to see a lot of tentacles. Tentacles are fun. Fighting things with a million arms is fun. Uh, and I wanted something big and weird and otherworldly. Um, I think the, the coloring notes that I gave to Tamara early on were that, you know, it's going to be a violent book, but we're skirting a line where we want it to be okay uh, for younger kids, even though it's a going to be a violent superhero book because it's superheroes. And one of the ways I thought we could skirt some of that line was by doing the colors in almost a more cartoonish way. So, uh, over the top, a little bit over the top. So, this is these incredible bright greens, you know, the sunshiny gold of Carol's hair. It's all very bright and bold and beautiful and classic and traditional to start. And then by the time we get to page 30, Maybe that's a little different, but uh, we're only on page two, so well, let's 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 pace ourselves. Anyway, so it's Carol fighting this uh, monster in Lower Manhattan. Um, again, very big classic, punching, kicking kind of thing. Um, she's narrating as she goes, and just like the first page with the nine-panel grid, uh, some of this is going to come back. Um, there's some stuff about always getting up in here, which there was some of this written, this was written before trailers for the movie. I haven't seen the script. You know, it's really important that even though you want to talk to those things, really the comics have to lead. The comics can't follow the movies. The comics are the source material. So as much as you'd love to sync up what the movies are doing, it's really our job to lead them to show them a great story they can adapt someday or, you know, what's next for Carol. Uh, even though, you know, far fewer people will ever read this comic than will see that movie, uh, we have to be our own thing. So this was already done and being drawn before the previews came out and before any of that. But I did do a dialogue pass after 
I saw that first trailer and I tweaked some of this um, internal narration of Carol's a little bit, um, specifically because of that. Um, Always Get Up was in there already, I believe, but I sort of changed how it landed and how important it was. And because I think that that was, above all the really cool things about that movie trailer, um, I think the coolest is, and the thing that people most responded to, the thing I certainly responded to most, was that Carol always getting up and that sort of closing fist and that determination. Really great, inspiring stuff and quintessential to who Carol is. And so we start a sort of narrative here for Carol that we're going to revisit by the end of the issue. Um, I always love to do that kind of thing when I can, make my themes line up, get my narrative in line. I'm such a pro. <laughs> anyway, we also get on the on this first double-page spread, uh, Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman. Um, it was really important to me to get her in this book. I think she and Carol are just magical together. They have incredible chemistry and energy. They also have, uh, you know, I, I think I think all writers, including myself, feel this urge to create new characters and put your own characters in and everything. And especially because Carol has had so many number ones and so many versions of that, I thought, not that we're not creating any new characters, we are, but I thought I would rather focus her supporting cast on like really well-known characters that already inhabit her world, that Tony Stark, uh, you know, Rhodey, Thor, Captain America, uh, Spider-Woman, and especially focus on some characters that are great that are out there that have fan bases, but that are just underused because there are so many characters out there. Um, Spider-Woman had an incredible solo series. She pops up in a lot of things, but right now she's pretty underused and she's fantastic. So it made a ton of sense to put her in here as part of Carol's supporting cast. Uh, We're going to also be talking later about Hazmat. She was sort of orphaned after... Um, the, you know, Avengers Academy was her book and then she was in Avengers Arena and then Avengers Undercover. I can't remember the third one, but she hasn't been around for a while either. Great character. Um, and Echo, who is just at the very end of this book, but will be in the whole first arc, uh, Maya Lopez is an incredible character. Again, sort of abandoned. She was actually killed, but then she got brought back. Uh, so she was just sort of sitting there. So I was just sort of looking around for who are these amazing characters and do they fit in here? Will they be interesting for Carol? What can I get out of them? What can Carol get out of them? Um, and, uh, I'm just really happy with where we ended up. Uh, I think even though Carol and Jess have been, uh, BFFs forever, I really fell in love with them in the early Kelly Sue DeConnick run, there's a scene where they're fighting dinosaurs in Manhattan and it's magical. And this scene with Carol and Jess fighting this Kraken thing is 100% a sort of homage or love letter to that simple scene, which is sort of quintessential uh, superhero stuff. Witty banter, lots of punching. I love it. So, uh, and they just sort of write themselves, these characters, honestly. Like, if you know them well enough uh, to, to, to know their character, I find that writing that witty banter between them, it comes really naturally. Like, they know what they want to say, and you just put yourself in that situation and sort of let them speak through you a little bit. So, um We've got one of my little favorite jokes here on, I guess it's page four, which is a thing about uh, Canadian uh, 13-year-old boys who have uh, supermodel girlfriends who live in Canada. Uh, I love that bit. 
I also like one of the things we got to establish here really well, I think, was sort of the Carol and Jess's patter, how well they know each other, like the way they just sort of understand what the other one is saying. There's a rhythm to their speech that I really loved here that felt really natural. And I'm going to have to stop again to cough. I apologize. And we're back. So uh, we're still in this Kraken scene. I, I'm not sure how page by page by page I'm supposed to go in this, but I feel like I talk too much, not too little. So let's skip ahead. Um, uh, this little girl and her dog, I think I told Carmen I want them to be like the cutest little girl and dog on the face of the planet. Um, she did an amazing job. One of my favorite panels. You know, it's, you know, it's a, a good looking book when one of your favorite panels doesn't even have the lead in it. It's just this panel on page. I don't know. I guess it's, uh, let's see. That's four, five. Wait, is that right? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One, two, three, four, five, six, page six, six point one, um, which is this tentacle crawling out of the out of the ocean, and this little girl looking up at it, and the dog. I just love it. It's a beautiful shot. Uh, Carmen is so incredible. Um, although even better, maybe than that panel is uh, six point three. Because this flying dog has the most hilarious expression on its face. I remember Will Moss could not get over the look on that dog's face. And we actually changed the little dialogue tag for the, uh, for the dog. Because I originally had her sort of going, you know, grrr, like it was angry. And then realized, uh, this dog has a question. And it's more like, grrr? So yeah, you gotta, that's right. This is how the professionals do it, folks. That's a, that's a technical term. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we get sort of, this is the first moment on this page six at the end of page six where Carol doesn't seem bright and light and things don't seem so fluffy and they seem more like uh, serious business. She flies into the Kraken's mouth to save the girl and dog that have been swallowed. Uh, Jess is sort of shocked by this. I think you can make an argument that she shouldn't be that shocked because Carol is nearly indestructible, blah, blah, blah. But I would also argue that seeing your best friend fly into the mouth of a monster, uh, it doesn't matter how invulnerable she is. You're worried about her. That's scary. Um, so we've got this great bit where the monsters disappeared, Carol's disappeared, the dog and the kid have disappeared, and, and Jessica's just waiting for them to resurface, like, you know, it's got to be okay. And then we've got this incredible two-panel page of Carol escaping the monster. And um, I will tell you guys right now, and there's no way you can know this, but this monster although they appear just pointless, uh, like, oh, here's a little fun fight scene to establish our characters and our everything. And I'm not against that. That's fine. But in this case, uh, that monster has meaning, which will come back in a future arc. So keep your eyes peeled for uh, clues. That's right. We're, uh, we're seeding this, this crap way out. <laughs> um, part of that, actually... Um, and I'd love to do more of this in my writing. I don't feel like I am the best. That's a weakness of mine, is planning really far out and making the stories bigger with higher stakes and all of that good stuff. Um, I don't feel like I often know like how far out it should go uh, and, and have all of that figured out. 
But in the case of Captain Marvel, I mean, we're pretty much locked in through issue 12 just because of the way we ended up rejiggering the story arcs a little bit. So anyway, here we are back. (coughs) Sorry, apologies, the cough. I didn't want to pause just for that little one. So we'll let it go. Um, So Carol has saved the day. The kid is puking. The dog is puking. Uh, everyone's uh, unhappy, but also happy to be alive. Uh, Jess uh, makes some fun of Carol, because that's how they are. Um, They discuss the monster. Uh, And then we get uh, Tony Stark showing up, or rather Tony Stark's remote pilot. Um, We get some establishing stuff about how all that's going to work. Um you know, how those relationships will play out, I guess I mean to say. Who will be these important people going forward in Carol's life as she finds herself back on Earth? Um, And this is the first real beginning. Uh, That's not true. Part of uh, what Jess is talking to Carol about in the very first pages is that she's back from space, and it's this great thing. And our arc is much less space-focused. Um, and the book itself will be less space-focused. I'm not saying we're never going back to space. You cannot and should not take the space out of Carol. It's intrinsic to who she is and should be. And especially given events from Life of Marvel, there are bigger ramifications than ever before for her about space. At the same time, Carol has been away for a long time. Forget the sabbatical. Um, even though she's been fighting every day, you know, living in a space station above the earth is a very different way to live your life than feet on the ground in New York City kind of thing. That's a different kind of hero life. One is not better than the other, but the perceptions of it are different. And that's something we start playing with right out of the gate. Um, and Tony sort of reinforces it here. One funny thing is that with Carmen, you can't be casual in your script because I was like, oh, tons of Iron Man armors show up. And man, did she ever draw tons of Iron Man armors? One would argue too many Iron Man armors. Uh, I I think Carmen certainly would argue too many Iron Man armors. She probably wanted to murder me on this page. Um, And this is when writers are real jerks because I just wrote it so casually like, oh, tons of Iron Man armor show up and carp this thing away. And she had to draw this page forever and she probably hates me and I don't blame her. Um, So then we've got Carol dealing with Tony and we begin to see like the real nitty gritty of what this space problem is, which is that it doesn't matter to a lot of people that she was saving the world because they couldn't see it. They feel like she's been gone, which is completely unfair to Carol. And that's how she feels about it. But, you know, as Tony says, you know, you can't argue with the polls. Uh, It's just people's perception. And so because of this, much to her uh, chagrin, he wants her to do an interview And uh, Carol's literally hates the idea so much, she's almost ready to, like, give up superheroing entirely, uh, if it can mean avoiding the interview. But she's a hero, so she doesn't do that. She submits to the interview. Um, He asks her, uh, you know, if if she'll do him a favor, and she's like, I'm already doing you the interview is the favor, buddy. She's like, why would I do two two favors for you? And there's this bit here about him saying that they're best friends and her being like, no, we're not best friends, which I sort of love because they clearly are very close. You know, they have so much history. A lot of it is, some of it is very bad. And they sort of get through it, you know, and come out the other side. They respect each other. They hate each other. They love each other. It's a complex relationship. And I think... We're seeing the lighter side of it here, uh, for the most part, but they touch on some serious topics that that I really enjoy. And here we get the introduction of Hazmat, who has sought out Tony for his tech, um, because she's having uh, some problems with her powers. 
which she thought had been solved in uh, Avengers Arena, that, that series. But now she's found that she's leaking uh, her toxicity again. So she's sort of reached out reluctantly for help. She's not uh, keen on Tony. Carol can relate to this. So Carol sort of offers uh, to work with her. Um, they're sort of uh, joking around and trying to get rid of Tony. And one of the first things that happens with Hazmat and Carol, which I love, is after Hazmat gives us a little bit of necessary exposition for readers who may not be familiar with her, um, Carol sort of calls her out on, you know, are you really that calm about it? And Hazmat, Jennifer is her name, is like sort of taken aback by that. And Carol's like, you know, because I've dealt with these kind of power problems and not everybody understands. And it's so smart of Carol because it's an instant way for Hazmat to, even though she wants to like give her a hard time and like be difficult with her, um, she instantly realizes, wait, this is Captain Marvel and she does understand something I'm going through and maybe she really can help me. And like, people want help. We all put walls up. We do the things we do, but we do want people to help us when we have problems. Um, and so I feel like even though Carol and Jennifer are going to have a very sassy relationship from go, um, it's just how they interact and it's very fun. Um, Carol does a brilliant job of instantly helping Hazmat understand that she not only understands her, she's willing to listen and she's willing to help. And, you know, they'll be better together. They'll be better and stronger together than apart, which I think is key. It's important here to talk about the fact that Carmen did the impossible and to Ann Tamara really did the impossible because one of the best things about Hazmat, among many awesome things, is that she has a perfect superhero costume. It's sleek and iconic and draws the eye. It's perfect. Perfect. And I knew we had to do a little tweaking to it, both for story reasons and for, uh, you know, just to show some sort of passage of time and development. Um, but I didn't want to change it. None of us wanted to change it. It's perfect. So I gave a few notes and they came back with this design, which I think most people are going to see. It, it's very good. It's a little fussier for good reason. It's supposed to be showing that it's sort of powered, like we wanted to sort of glow about it. And my notes kept being, I love it. I love it. I just, I'm not sure the poweredness of it, that white, I'm not sure it's going to read as sort of glowing or having energy to it, you know, and everyone's like, Kelly, shut up and let us do our jobs. And sure enough, Tamara turned in these pages and the white glow of the suit is so cool. And it's totally obvious that it's powered and I love it. Um, so here we get the reintroduction of James Rhodes, a.k.a. Rhodey. And um, he and Carol have a very awkward, bumbling conversation because that's what happens when you were dating and then you died and then nobody ever talked to the other one again, even when you came back from the dead, which, you know, is in some ways it's a little unrealistic that that would happen. I mean, if, if we think in our normal lives of like if someone you were literally in love with died and then they came back, the idea that you wouldn't move heaven and earth to go see them seems sort of crazy. But these people don't live normal lives like we do. Uh, they're thrown from one planet killing crisis into the next. They're in space on alien planets. They're being rebuilt in labs. Like, you know, it's a crazy life. And in Carol's case alone, you know, she had all this stuff happen with her mother, finding out her history is not her history. Her mother died. Her brother almost died and was in a coma. Um, 
it's a lot that they've been going through. And so we have this page of them sort of trying to brush that stuff under the rug. And it's clear that nobody has any hard feelings. But then Carol is just like, listen, you know, I've never, it almost killed me that you, that what happened to you, I'm so glad you're back. But you know, death seems like a pretty definitive answer uh, that, 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 that this, that we're not supposed to be together. And he just looks at her and he's like, I think the opposite. He's like, I'm looking at you. I've never been happier to be alive, like, and have second chances. And Carmen did this great sort of blushing look on Carol's face where you can see that he's said the perfect thing and they're going to get right back into it. And so they go out and they're reconnecting and they're joking. And just as they're about to kiss at the dinner table, some well-meaning reporter from Ms. Magazine, which if you know your Carol history, is uh, a magazine that she was involved with. And I believe was editor of as well, editor-in-chief. Anyway, um, she shows up for the interview and immediately realizes, oh God, I wasn't supposed to come here and you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Rhodey sort of diffuses the situation and Carol's intense dislike of this idea of the interview. He sort of makes peace. Oh, you guys are now hearing my cuckoo clock. <coughs> Let's add in a cough. Just give it, give, give you the great context of my life. Cuckoo clocks and coughing and here's another day in the life. So they're walking outside the restaurant, and Carol gets slammed with some kind of blast. Uh, My favorite part of that is that she's literally in the middle of saying that it's pretty dangerous to hang out with her, and that she can't just be dragging this reporter around with her everywhere, and then, like, mid-sentence, she gets hit with this blast. I love it. Um, So Carol goes smashing into a building nearby, uh, and Nuclear Man makes his makes his presence known uh he's amazing looking you know i hadn't given carmen very many notes um on the first pass of nuclear man and so you know she went off and kind of did her design thing but she was really she was really doing a a sort of very literal uh translation of the old nuclear man which is a little dated and sort of 90s to it and um, so we ended up with uh, we ended up with I think I think one of the things early on Sarah and I said was that his like a, a seven foot tall dystopian Russian pimp right that he should be super hot but super annoying and maybe this like ragged fur coat and and but sort of an apocalyptic mad max type of vibe going on uh and sarah and i had a really fun time looking at models i think we were searching models with fur coats and no shirts anyway uh uh someone in the thread might have been will said it was the most scandalous image thread he'd ever gotten to be a part of at Marvel. Um, and uh, we, we all took a lot of pride in that. Um, one thing Carmen nailed in the redesign before we even gave her any notes was she did this amazing long braid with shaved sides. I don't know. It's so perfect. I love it so much. So that was one of the things that definitely stayed from the first iteration. Uh, and you can see here what she did. It was incredible. Um, when Tamara took her first pass on coloring it, the coat was brown. And so it was all sort of brown on brown on brown. And we were talking about what it should be. Oh, maybe it should be gray or black. Or maybe it should be patchwork or blah, blah, blah. And someone said, I want to believe it was me. But someone said, you know what? It should be white. Like, it's the most ridiculous idea is that it would be white. And so she did it. And it just popped like crazy. And we were all so happy. Um, so we get this introduction of Nuclear Man. He sort of proclaims himself. Um, he sort of suggests that he came here specifically for, for Carol Danvers to see what her deal was. 
They have a, a surprisingly brief fight. Carol's able to take him down uh, pretty well, despite his size and bravado. But a roadie had called for help in the meantime, so then we get our great uh, classic big-time Avengers uh, guest-starring roles here, or guest-starring appearances. Thor, Iron Man in his costume rather than Tony Stark, and Captain America arriving on the scene to find Carol's already saved the day. And, uh, you know, uh, Iron Man sort of making a joke that Rhodey raised the emergency alarm for one little old nuclear man. Um, so then they're going to take him off to wherever they take these guys, uh, the raft or something, right? Uh, Thor, my favorite line of the issue probably, Thor commenting on that the, uh, that the coat is quite fetching. And uh, Iron Man gets to have my, my line that he looks like a seven-foot-tall dystopian Russian pimp. Um, good times. But as they go to take him, Carol tries to warn them that it looks like maybe he was faking. And so as he gets the jump on them and uses one of his classic maneuvers from the old days where he slams his hands together and it's like a sort of like a like a boom, like an explosion. So it sends everyone flying. And then he uses um, an update on, he had back in the day, something called a will weakening ray. He still has it, but we've updated it a little bit. It was a bit silly looking in the old days. Now it's just sort of integrated into his costume. So he uses that, he uses that as well. Um, Carol's sort of not having it. She avoid. She's able to avoid part of the blast, just partially from where she's standing, and attacks him. He puts her down, but then sort of gives up. You know, it sort of without admitting that he's overmatched, admits that he thought it would be easier, so he's gonna come back another day when it'll be easier. But he's going to take Ripley, the reporter, uh, for his troubles. So he opens this portal. And we can see he's opened it to, we don't know, another world something. It looks like New York in the background. But it's all apocalyptic and messed up. And Carol, ever the hero, sort of without a thought, flies through. Um, you know, she's not going to let him take this woman. Uh, even if she is a reporter trying to do a story on her. Um, the others come to just as she disappears inside. They try themselves to go through and they sort of bounce off it like Teflon, sort of adorably, hilariously. And then the thing closes. And they're worried about her, obviously, although Rhodey says what everyone should be thinking, which is, you know, did you see how pissed she was? That that guy's going to wish he was never born. Uh, but then we get a smash cut, and this was a little controversial. A smash cut can be disorienting to readers. Um, I really love them. I, I used one at the end of Rogue and Gambit number one, and most people loved it, but a few people were very confused by it. Um... We get a smash cut to basically the future. Um, how far in the future, we don't really know. But it's Carol in some sort of apocalyptic uh, landscape. Uh, it's sort of got a Mad Maxian look to her. Hazmat is there, similarly geared up. Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew, is there, similarly uh, geared up. Echo, it's our first and only appearance in this issue of Echo, because it's the last page of the book. And um, an unknown dude uh, with a little mohawk and sort of Mad Max look to him as well. They're all sort of muted tones compared to the rest of the book, although Carol's still got some of her Captain Marvel gear. They've all got sort of markings on their face. Um, and Carol has over her a nine-panel grid style panel over her and matching the page one captions where they said icon, warrior, soldier, captain, blah, blah, blah. It just says revolutionary. 
Um, so there was some concern that the leap forward, you know, was not the right call. I fought really hard for it because I thought it was really important to show a classic, traditional Captain Marvel that people know and love for the most to to really establish that to establish who she is and her world and everything that's going on and for 29 pages we do that and we're really um devoted to it we're really committed to it and then to pull the rug out from under people as to this isn't going to be what you expected coming in you got 29 pages of this thing it's all real it's all true but this arc is actually going to be about something you maybe didn't expect. And I think it's worth it. I think it's really fun. I think it's unexpected. And I think it's really hard in comics to do unexpected. Uh, but I hope it will really excite people. Uh, God knows Carmen's designs for these apocalyptic versions of the characters are incredible. Um, I was really excited about this story. Um, it draws on sort of all my favorite kind of things. But it, and, and other people were excited too. Uh, uh, Sarah and Will had always been in. They really liked the story. Um, CB and Tom liked it as well, although they were more hesitant. I needed to do more convincing, which sometimes happens. That's fair. Um, when we saw the designs that Carmen did, everyone fell in love. And in fact, when we showed these designs off at the summit, when we were talking about the book, people flipped out <laughs> over how great they were. And a couple people, including Sana and Steve Wacker, who are two of my favorite people at Marvel. Uh, they're just terrific. They like came up to me at the break and they were like, we should do more of this. Why is it only five issues? And I was like, listen, <laughs> I was like, we fought so much with getting these arcs right. And we have this third arc that's a big deal. And we're going to do a tie into War of Realms. So we got to do that. And they're like, yeah, but it's so good. Like, I want it to be a whole book. And I was like, listen, me too. I was like, if the people love it, there's an obvious way to return to it. So, you know, let's just see. So I guess it'll be on the people. Um, how much, how great they think it is, or how not great. How, how much more of it they want to see. Um... We're doing a lot in five issues with a lot of characters. In addition to Carol, it's obviously her book, she's a star. But in addition to Hazmat, Spider-Woman, and Echo, I think it's been released in the solicits that She-Hulk joins. So She-Hulk shows up in issue two. And then there's a special guest star, I can't say yet, that's going to show up in four, it is. Um, and there's also a new character, Psalm, plus there's Riley, or Ripley. Um, so it's a lot for five issues, but there's, we're barely scratching the surface. You know, there's so much more to explore. And, um, I understand that people get weary of alt takes on characters. I mean, I think this is not that because it's not an alternate reality. This is Carol. This is Jessica Drew. This is Echo, this is Hazmat, this is them. This is a thing they're living through that affects them in their lives in the future um, that, 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 that um, informs who they are, these experiences. So it's not alternate universe, which I think is what people get hung up on sometimes. But I love any story that helps take characters outside of their normal. That said, I think part of the reason a story like that works is if you make sure and establish the normal. So part of what makes this story powerful is if we set up 29 pages of what normal is, and then we go back to normal. And then 
my hope is if people love this story, that there's a way to revisit elements of it again in the future, uh, but in a new way. We don't want to, you know, mine the same ground. You have to be able to tell something new. Um, but for Carol's hair alone, I think we can all say it's a, it's a win. Uh, plus, Jessica Drew's uh, spider face is amazing. The little, uh, it's not a tattoo. Someone's like, oh, why would you tattoo that on your face? I mean, it's obviously not a tattoo. It's like mark, it's like warp. Anyway, so that brings us to page 30. Um, that's right, folks. 30 pages. Um, $4.99. I know you guys don't like paying $5, but... You're getting 10 extra pages. I think it's worth it. Um, and yeah, I hope you guys love this comic. I really love it. There were times when I was very worried about doing it. Um, like every writer out there, it's impossible to not second guess yourself. Um, but I've really liked all the scripts we've turned in. A Carmen, I've mostly only seen Carmen's work. I'm trying to remember if I've seen Final Colors on two yet. I guess maybe I have. Sorry, the holidays have left things a mess in my brain. Um, they're, the whole team is just doing amazing work. Um, and I just am really proud of it. And I hope people can feel that love and excitement and passion that we're pouring into it. And uh, I hope we have a nice long run. And I hope it is worthy of the movie, which I'm very excited about and which I think is going to make a million Carol fans. God, so many fans, especially young fans. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. So thanks. Thanks for listening to my process cast. Thanks for putting up with my voice and my coughs. And uh, especially thanks to Ben Blacker inviting me to do this. It's really cool. I love process stuff. Um, this is my first one, so forgive me for not uh, thinking of all the right things to talk about. Uh, I'm sure I missed a ton of stuff, uh, but I will uh, try and do better next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm. Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.